I'm your voice of confidence. We're starting a business, and it's going to be awesome and successful, and everyone will love it. Well, uh, I'm your voice of self-doubt, and uh, I don't think so. We've got amazing ideas, awesome plans, and everything will be great. What about all the paperwork? No problem. I've got LegalZoom. And I've got my doubts. Stop doubting. LegalZoom can help us start our business in a few easy steps. Oh? Not so full of doubt now. All right, let's do this. But any more than a few steps and I'm out. LegalZoom. Now you're in business. LegalZoom is not a law firm or a substitute for an attorney. As long as I continued to make everything look pretty and shiny on the outside, I didn't care how miserable and ugly I felt on the inside. I realized that I deserved a better me so I can be the wife and the mom that I really wanted to be. If you're ready to get real about addiction treatment, call Karen. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen. Real results. Real care. Real about recovery. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Welcome, everyone, to a special broadcast of Benzinga Cannabis Hour. We'll be... You know, streaming live from MJ BizCon in Las Vegas. And our first guest today is Yoko. She is the CEO of Leafly. Yoko, thank you so much for joining us and just bearing with me for the last 30 minutes and, and you know, deep conversations. It's really early here and we're talking philosophy. So great to see you again. And thanks for having me joining here today. How are you doing? Doing great. I was just uh, saying this is my first MJ BizCon. So I'm sure it won't be the last. <laughs> what, what do you think of the cannabis industry so far? Like, but tell us a little bit about your background first. So my background, um, let's go professional. I am a lawyer by training. And so I spent 14 years in digital media prior to joining Leafly. And joined Leafly originally as our general counsel in May of 2019 mm-hmm. and then took over the role of CEO in August of 2020. So what does Leafly do? I mean, because a lot of people know it as a, I don't know, like strain database or like a yeah. dispensary locator or no. like an information platform. But like, what is it? Well, you know, we, we are a content first marketplace and really people have known us for that. Like that piece of being able to educate consumers, right? Educate bud tenders about strains, about products has been an incredibly valuable resource to all through this period of prohibition where data and science was not of it readily available. So for us, that mission started 11 years ago. But what we've been building and really transforming into is taking that information and taking your journey as a consumer, not just to finding that right product, but connecting you with the 4,600 stores and almost 8,000 brands on our platform. Oh, my God. Right? Like, you know the inconsistency of the product you pick up in store this week may not be there in three weeks. So if you can take the friction out of that through building a marketplace, that's been where we've been really focused because our goal is ultimately that, helping consumers to find the right product for their needs at their local store. Love it. You got the pitch nailed down too. But, but, okay. Um, and, and what about like the, the educational component? Why is it uh, so important? And like, how do you develop it? Because it, yeah. th- it's a lot of information and you're constantly changing the nomenclature for break out of this, this dual conception of, of, of cannabis strains or cultivars, where it's like sativa or indica, where nothing is like that anymore. <laughs> this is where I get super excited. And I call it really the magic of this plant. It's so complex. It's so rich, right? Our strains database, which we're known for, 
over 5,000 strain entries. Damn. And think about that. It's not just 5,000 strain entries. Each with a unique cannabinoid and terpene profile that drive effects. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything else this complex? Right? And then you put that plant and that strain into different form factors that can lead to a different outcome as a consumer. Uh-huh. It's like this massive puzzle. And really being able to unlock that puzzle and create a pathway that's right for your needs, like that's where I get super excited about how we bring data and science to solve that problem. Yeah, and I mean, it's as you say, it's super complex because, you know, you think of a wine repository as something that's comparable. Yep. You know, a bunch of different tastes and smells and like, you know, textures. But then again, you don't have the effects variant. Like all wine is kind of the same, right, in, in terms of the effects. It's the effects are consistent when you're drinking, but also the use cases are so varied for cannabis, right? Yes. Think about who comes to this plant. You come for medical relief. You come for relaxation. You come for stimulation. You want to be able to dial into that right experience because if you miss that turn, it could go poorly for you. And I and I think that is, you know, what I have found in my, um, you know, I like to talk about cannabis a lot in my community. Of, People don't even understand how complex this is. And so unpacking it. Your community, Asian American community, or your community, like the lawyer community. You know, know, like middle-aged parents. Like, I really like to spend a lot of time surfacing the science and the complexity of it to say, hey, guys, we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding this plant and its potential. Mm -hmm. You were telling me something fascinating earlier. I'm going to make you repeat it. you know, we, we, we do know that that uh, cannabis and hemp were used in China for millennia. I did not know it was a thing in Japan as well. Uh- <laughs> so I was telling you the story about a girlfriend of mine who was telling me about her grandmother. Grandmother, not a cannabis consumer in the typical stereotype. Yeah, not a weed person. Not, not a, a pothead. <laughs> Certainly a not a pothead. Okay, if she was, but she wasn't. But she grew weed. And he said, why is your mom, your grandmother growing weed? And she said, oh, because the seeds are used in um, shtimi, which is a special kind of Japanese spice. Mm-hmm. It's been part of her shtimi recipe for, you know, passed down through generations. And I, I love learning these little things. I love unpacking and surfacing the history that's been buried for so long. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I visited Bolivia, I was 18. And this little town in the mountains, uh, you know, it was famous for cannabis. And But I was expecting, like, the kind of dealer that I knew, right? Like, okay, so I'll go score some cannabis with the dealer. The, the person who was growing and selling the cannabis was an, a lady who was probably 85 years old. And everyone was like that. And, and, you know, I asked, like, what's up with this? And they were like, well, this is what we do. Like, we've been growing cannabis forever. We, we used it in all kinds of remedies. You know, and this is not only in Bolivia, but in Peru and Mexico and, like, just all around like people have been using cannabis and remedies and this is it right like let's remember prohibition and the construct that's been created around cannabis we could get deeply philosophical here but like when we can acknowledge that prohibition and all of its associated stereotypes or constructs we can build to break those down we can build to bring the information and data and science and history back to this plant and arm consumers with that there's so much opportunity in terms of we look we, we talk about broadening access, right? Mm-hmm. This up, but we know we've got to break down some of those stigmas for more consumers to be able to enjoy the benefits of cannabis. 
talking about broadening the spectrum. <laughs> Let's broaden the spectrum of this conversation. Let's get into finance for a little bit. Right. You know, the boring part. Uh, but no, yeah. <laughs> Leafly. Okay, you're you're going public. We are. With a hefty valuation, a very nice transaction. Like, give us a little bit of context. So um, we are going public via SPAC route, merging with Merida Merger Corp. Sponsored nice. by the Merida Capital folks. Nice. Very well known in the yeah. cannabis investment space. We met Peter, the president of SPAC, almost two years ago when he launched this. And it was just a great collaborative conversation from the outset. If you know the SPAC process, on the sponsor side, you actually have to go and shop around and figure out what's the right target for my size SPAC, trying to make mm -hmm. an investment. There was a great synergy there around, they were looking for a non-plant touching company. Uh, yeah, I mean, a as it's SPAC, you, you be traded yeah, on the Yeah, exactly. That's all I can invest in. And for us, we were really reaching that moment where we had the right strategy, right? Our local marketplace is working, and we've seen that through COVID. Aligned with a, a growing, uh, scaling business model, you know, we're asset light, and then we've got legalization challenges. Like, things have finally sort of fallen into place to put that right business model behind it. You've got a sponsor that's got a great reputation in partnering in cannabis. Mm -hmm. And for us, there's so much activity and excitement around this space. We're yeah. so excited to bring this to the public markets. And, you know, people love the Leafly brand. Yeah. And like, yeah, and to make around the world, by the way, it's one of the oh, few like globally recognized brands, right? Like you, you travel the world and there's few brands like people have heard about cookies. They have certainly not heard about all the MSOs like outside the US. They know, you know, for brands, they know, like raw and like OCB rolling papers, like things that are available right. around the world. And then like Leafly, because no matter what language they, they speak in, they will Google their, their favorite strain and Leafly will show up as a definitive resource. Well, I mean, we've really worked hard on that, right? It's a decade of really making the investments in that publishing, in that trust, in that education-based approach. But for us to bring that then to the public markets and open that up to an audience and a potential investor base, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's exciting for us. When? Yeah. When, when is it hitting the market? <laughs> well, when, when, when? Know, well, it's the deal was uh, announced in August. We're working through all the steps of going back and forth with the SEC. We're still scheduled in Q4. Very this cool. year and off we go and do you think the, the the valuation that has been assigned to you relates very much to to how asset light you are you said like we're asset light where like your your opex is, is relatively low compared to to cannabis okay. operators I, right like is it is it kind of is, yeah valuation in general is an art certainly not a <laughs> science and very much sort of uh you know there's so many variables to that and you yeah, you know, are you a SaaS model? Are you a marketplace model? Are you a consumer? All of that goes into the calculus of how the world sort of starts to assess your valuation. Ultimately, we know we build shareholder value by serving our customers, right? Our consumers, our retailers, our brands. Mm -hmm. we keep doing what we're doing, whatever. That valuation is going to go through the roof. But, like, we're just focused on delivering to our constituents and growing the business. Mm -hmm. There's just so much potential and direction we need to take. Two quick questions and, and we're done. Um, where does your revenue come from? Where does our revenue come from? Yeah. What's like, what primarily are your retailers? Three top revenue yeah, drivers. No, primarily retailers and brands. And for us, retailers who are on our platform, you know, include their, post their menus, uh, include online e-commerce. And then for us, it's really the powerful advertising that retailers want to do, right? Whether that's on our dispensary finder, on our homepage carousels. So they'll pay premium 
premiums for those slots mm -hmm. because we know we drive consumer interest through that. Oh, yeah. And same thing for brands. You know, it's so hard. And this is true for retailers, too. It's so hard for retailers and brands to cut through and reach engaged candidates. Yes. You've got Facebook and Google who won't take your dollars. But what we deliver to you is a shopper, an informed shopper. And brands and retailers like those shoppers. Indeed. Indeed. What's next for, for Leafly? Oh, oh, more, more. We've just got, we're so excited about East Coast opening up. We're so excited about the momentum potentially overseas. And look, there's so many more states to flip. And really, like, our, our work is not done until everyone incarcerated for a cannabis crime is out. Yeah. You know, we've built equity and fairness into this industry. And we proliferate, proliferate that around the world. We got a lot to do. Yeah. I mean, for all companies out there, if you're making some money, like donate to any organization that supports expungement or at least making like prisoners' lives a little bit easier. And build pathways and access to participate in this amazing industry. Cheers to that. Cheers. Thanks for having Yoko, me. Yoko, thank you so much for joining us. So and fun. we'll see you soon at another edition of the Benzinga Cannabis Hour. Would love that. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're gonna keep going. Boom. Boom. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna pull you off for just a second. So yes. Catch up with you both. Uh, thank you very much. Okay. I will chat with our audience for a minute. Yep. And we're live. There you go. Really live. Uh, you gotta get two lane brothers. Right. There we go. Uh, hey. Hello. Hello. What's up, everybody? Producer Aaron, we're live. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks to everybody for being here. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Javi and Yoko. What a cool company Leafly is. Oh gosh. With the, the, the Go Public, too, with uh, with Merida Capital. They're killing it. We're thrilled to have them at our event uh, last week, and we're thrilled to be here at MJ BizCon to see everything that uh, is going on here. You can see behind us, it's a very busy floor, right? This is early stage, too. Early stages? <laughs> early stages? Yeah. So here's here's why I like being here this week. Um, and the majority of what I'm hearing from a lot of the folks that are attending, a lot of the, the executives anyway, is that uh, whether they're on the expo floor or not, it definitely seems to be the, the hotels, right? The meetings at the hotels around this conference are why these folks are here. They're meeting with their investors uh, all in sort of the one place at one time deal, right? So it's an exciting atmosphere. There's multiple forms of value to this event from right. B to B to B to C to just the surrounding area of Vegas. You got it. So it's exciting to be it, here with them. Awesome. Well, listen, let's jump out. Let's get Javi and Will Yakowitz from Forbes on. You guys jump back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why you wanted to kick me out. I, you just wanted to show up on camera. Thanks for having me, Javier. Thank you for joining us at Benzinga Cannabis Hour, live from MJ BizCon floor. Will Yakowitz, you're a staff writer for Forbes. You basically run the the vices section in Forbes, which includes cannabis and psychedelics and other stuff we'll be talking about. This is your first time at MJ BizCon. It is, yeah. What do you think so far? It's, uh, yeah, it's overwhelming. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. I mean, uh, I think, you know, part of the, the magic of it is, you know, meeting people in person that you haven't seen for two years. You, or, you, you've been, right. like, editing my work for what, like? Three years now? Yeah, something like that. And yeah, this is the first time we meet in person. It's good. But yeah, I think um, that's the great part about it. You know, so many people from the industry are here. So you're having um, a bite to eat or a drink and you run into uh, 
executive or somebody like that. So it's great as a reporter, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a plethora of sources, just like standing around. Um, tell me about your work. Like, you know, what, what's, what's your daily routine? What do you do? Why do you get into cannabis? Do you get into it by chance? Is it like sheer luck? <laughs> more of a, it was more of a progression of uh, my career. Uh, I started in my 20s as a crime reporter for, you know, a, a, a local uh, Brooklyn paper. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, I pivoted to business reporting. And about in 2013, I started, you know, the legal industry was really taking shape in, in Colorado in 2014, taking shape. And um, I started pitching stories, kind of, you know, combining my interests and, in, you know, kind of an American outlaw archetype, right? And, um, you know, but it was going legit. So I saw that, you know, there was a lot of investors coming into the space. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of see down the line, sure, you know, make as many weed jokes as you want in 2013. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, was, I remember my, my articles from 2013. Yeah. The headlines were like, uh, five smoking uh, hot right. cannabis stocks and five, like, whatever, yeah. like, Insider blazing, cannabis. whatever. Yeah. Like, but so many yeah. jammed into one headline. Yeah, but and exactly. And then, you know, as my editor, you know, they basically, I was at Inc. Magazine at the time, and um, one editor just was like, you know what, screw it. Let's, let, let's do this story. Um, so I went to Colorado and really saw the beginnings of the legal industry in the state and followed mm-hmm. a armored truck around and saw how they pick up cash um, <laughs> and drop off cannabis. And oh my God. it's just, very, you know, and these, this company was run by vets who, you know, were in Afghanistan. Wait, um, was it, was it Hunter Garth? No, I think it was Blue Line Security. Because there's a very similar story where like general cannabis acquired, yeah. like, you know, Hunter Garth, you know, he came back from, from a war yeah. struggling, you know, with, with, you know, PTSD and suicidal thoughts and, yeah. you know, moves to Colorado with not a penny on him, you know, suddenly realizes how off-putting uh, security was at dispensaries at the time. And, you know, he comes up with this, like, zero investment needed company. And in six months, he sold it for, like, a few million dollars to General Cannabis. Yeah, yeah that, that's really interesting. From rags to riches yeah. in a second. <laughs> <laughs> and and so yeah, like the, this industry, um, you know, it, it really evolved from there. And as it kind of grew up, more editors took uh, stories more seriously, you know. And and now uh, Forbes, I mean, we have we have a full vertical dedicated. You know, I run like you said, uh, the Vice's vertical cannabis is is part of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's obviously a multi-billion-dollar industry, twenty billion last year, and nationwide sales will be a hundred billion in 2030. So now, you know, as a writer, you don't have to kind of justify like, whereas 2014, you had to justify like every time. It, yeah. You, weed, you always needed a, a nut yeah, graph, right? right? You know, industry is projected to grow at this rate for yeah. the following years. Now, like no one needs that nut right. graph anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, you need a nut graph for every story, but for, you don't yeah, not, to, not you don't that have to specific yeah. nut graph, right? Like, People understand now that the industry is real. <laughs> and it's here it's not it's not a stoner joke it's not you know anything like that it's a multi-billion dollar industry that will rival alcohol you know um so yeah and and uh i cover cannabis psychedelics and and gambling and you know the vice's yeah. name <laughs> how does that go together well you know 
vices is very tongue in cheek. It's not judgmental. It's not like a yeah. No, it's know, a name. It, yeah, it's yeah. Just we like, also call it lifestyle and wellness, like a bunch yeah. of different things. And it's like yeah, it matters, but it doesn't. Right. Yeah, and it's kind of like a hangover from the past. And um, but you know, I think if you can't kind of joke a little bit about the you know your work, right? Um, you, you know, you you need to have some levity here but, yeah but yeah obviously um it's not a knock on the industry or gambling or or anything else it's just forbes and yeah i i think it it just like what what's interesting to me and i guess like the biggest uh connection between gambling and, and cannabis is like you know our parents saw gambling go from you know mob controlled industry to a publicly mm-hmm. traded com- corporations like running this town Fair enough. Um, across the world, right? And so that's, I see the, the same story playing out with cannabis where like we just are like, cannabis is just emerging from the, the gray or illicit market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have publicly traded companies. Like yes. we have billionaires in the space. We have startups, you know, we have every segment of the economy from yeah. you know 20 year olds with a dream hoping to strike it rich to billionaires who've been doing this for a long time um and everything in between so, indeed yeah. uh, so you know what what's the interest um to forbes i know a lot of companies and, and people watching want to get featured i get i personally get 800 emails a day and i'm, and I'm a contributor i'm not even yeah. like a staff writer yeah. uh i know what i'm interested in my column is mm-hmm. is very focused on like big exclusives like 300 yeah. million dollar acquisitions before they break mm-hmm. or like a big celebrity interview yeah. but i know like different contributors have different interests staff writers have their own interests but there's some kind of criteria of yeah what makes a story forbes worthy right yeah um what makes a story a cannabis story forbes worthy it's you know it it really we do profiles of people obviously but you it can't just be you know this person is is running a, a marijuana company and you know that that's a story because <laughs> it, it's really not like you know what really makes a story is is it, it, it has to ha- the, the company or the person has to have like a big effect on on the industry um you know i profiled charles coke about his support of of the industry can you tell us sorry i i I need to like do a little bit of a a bracket here like a parenthesis yeah charles coke yeah (laughs) okay yeah i mean it like on the surface um you know charles coke is many things to many people right so you could think of him as you know somebody who who you know funded the the early tea party right Mm -hmm. um you know you could also see him as a libertarian and then it, it makes sense that he mm-hmm. would like, you know, he's a long supporter of criminal justice. Um, and then, you know, cannabis legalization really fits into criminal justice. If you're looking for reasons people shouldn't be in jail, like people, things we should not be criminalizing in, in our culture, you know, cannabis is a, is a layup. It's an easy thing. Like it, it makes just so much it does not make sense that it's been illegal. And we know that it was made illegal for, you know, racist terms, frankly, like there's really mm-hmm. no other way to put, put it. Um, even the word marijuana has, you know, racist undertones. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is like for, for somebody like Charles Koch, 
part of what he works on now with his foundation is criminal justice reform and cannabis legalization fits very nicely into that. Um, so yeah, one of the one of the people they've uh, supported early on was this guy um, who was arrested for selling weed to an undercover agent mm -hmm. uh, three times, and it was like a thousand bucks worth of weed. But he was going to jail for like fifty years. Oh my god! And he got out in twelve, which is still nuts. But no, it was a nonviolent crime. Oh yeah, it was you know. Couple yeah, of no, I, of weed. people yeah. trafficking a lot more cannabis yeah. have gotten a lot less time. Yeah, definitely. I've yeah, seen or very similar cases. Yeah, people recently. who have committed violent crimes have, have served less. So. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah, that's a whole other story. But like, <laughs> yeah. even yeah. measured by the cannabis bar, right? Yeah. Which we can discuss for hours. Yeah, even by 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 those standards, it's a lot. Yeah. So uh, we have maybe two more minutes. So I want to go back to what uh, what makes a story force worthy. Yeah, and then a little bit on banking. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, very quickly, it, it needs to have some kind of, like, the person or company needs to have some kind of cultural or industry-wide influence. Um, and obviously, we also cover a lot of early entrepreneurs. Um, but it, it has to be, like, you know, Bo Wrigley, obviously, you mm -hmm. know, the family behind um, the, the, the gum. Uh, who else? You know, Boris Jordan of Curaleaf. Like, mm -hmm. these are people who you know, are, are really influential across the industry and market and, and society at large. You know, Boris was the first uh, billionaire that Forbes found in, in the cannabis in industry. Cannabis, yeah. And Curaleaf is obviously one of the world's largest cannabis companies. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, really what makes a Forbes story is is like not just that it's a company in cannabis that's like doesn't, you know, raise the bar. It really has to have something bigger and, and say something bigger about the industry or or society indeed um i know you cover like fascinating stories mm. and you've covered like you, you've, you've reported from the west bank and you've mm. covered all kinds of crazy stories you recently visited a prison mm. and you're fascinated right now by banking of all things banking yeah yeah banking <laughs> why um, <laughs> i mean i get it yeah. but why because i think it's it's really you know basically uh companies in the marijuana industry have difficulty accessing the mainstream financial system. So like if you go to a dispensary, you might use your debit card and it might look and feel like a debit transaction, but it actually is not. It it's is a, not. It's called a cashless ATM transaction mm -hmm. or an ACH transfer. And, and this is going to get wonky very quickly, but because cannabis is illegal federally, big banks, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, won't serve the industry. Yeah. So what happens is local credit unions service the industry and Square, all these payment processors, you know, Visa, MasterCard, they don't allow cannabis transactions on what they, they refer to as rails, like the, the payment uh, rails. So there's all these companies. I mean, Dutchie is one example. Flow Hub's another yeah. um, that have gotten into, you know, the POS world for, yeah. for this industry. And just the fact of the matter is, like, if you follow a dollar from a customer to a dispensary, like, it winds up, that physical dollar winds up in the Federal Reserve, which is which is kind of crazy to think about, you know, like, because they can't bring it to Chase Bank. So it's, it's just this full of, you know, yeah, full of irony and, and hypocrisy that, um, you know, one of the fastest growing industries in America cannot, is banking like it's in the 90s, you know. 
So it, I think it's it's fascinating. And there's a bunch of companies coming in this space to fill the void um, mm-hmm. until safe banking or something or another piece of legislation passes, which would kind of give the green light to uh, the JP Morgans of the world to accept money from, from cannabis transactions. Last question. I mean, yeah. just to close it up, um, yeah. is there a way out of this conundrum, <laughs> crazy, weird, you know, labyrinth-like situation, catch-22, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Uh, for banking? Yeah. I mean, safe banking would fix the issue. Um, Do you see it passing, though, anytime soon? It's, you know, who, who the hell knows? I think, uh, you know, getting legislation passed is probably like wrangling cats. I think it, it <laughs> might happen quickly or it might take forever. And I, I think it's it's one of those things where the industry has been dealing with these issues forever, right? And, like, a lot of these companies especially plant-touching ones, pay taxes as a federally illegal drug trafficker under yeah. 280E. So it's like there's a lot of things that need to be hashed out, but safe banking would fix it. Um, what people are thinking of as like federal legalization, either that's allowing interstate commerce or, you know, protecting state Safe's markets, right, yeah. similar to like, you know, if you look at the alcohol industry, it sure, it's it's legal federally, right? But yeah. like if you look at the the manufacturing distribution and retail yeah, part. Very state it's, specific. It's not, yeah, it depends state to state. There's, you know, probably like 50 laws, for, I mean, you know, for one for each state. When, when you so. start understanding America as, as you know, uh, as like many countries in one, yeah. right? Like every state is its own country. Yeah, definitely. And when you take issues like Fed, like when the feds made alcohol illegal, like that whole industry went into the illicit market and then it came out. And it came out in a very, you know, really wonky state by state way where like in Jersey, you can't sell liquor on Sundays or, you know, maybe Oregon the same way, you know, in Oregon, all the liquor stores are state owned. So um, I see a very similar thing happening. Like it's not going to be easier with cannabis because I think there is also an argument like, look, we have a three tiered system in alcohol. Like, let's plug and play. Like, let's take cannabis. Let's take that framework and just put marijuana there. And um, so, yeah, it's really, it obviously remains to be seen what will happen. Um, but, yeah, in a few years, you know, in, in our lifetime, we will see, you know, federally legal, whatever that might mean, state by state or um, interstate commerce. But, yeah, it's a fascinating space and it's changing every day. So. Fantastic. Well, Yakowitz is your cannabis guy at Forbes. Go follow him on social media. You got his name right there below on the screen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And it's always a pleasure to work with you, man. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Javier. All right. Have a good day. And moving on. Who do we have on next? Okay, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm getting signs, right? And I don't know if this means wrap it up or go on. So, we, you know, we probably need to go check out the rest of the, the conference. I'm here. What's up? What's <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Sorry, so let's true. do it. Uh, I was just talking to our, our next guest and our friend. Which one do you want me to use? It's just here. Um, so y'all, I think one of the coolest things about this that we're podcasting is we are meeting with private companies, like the next leaders in craft cannabis, the next leaders in, um, ancillary cannabis. We are also meeting with 
awesome public companies, which I think it was what a lot of you all are here to, to do. So we have Omar from High Tide, their NASDAQ listed HITI with us. I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance. Omar Khan. There we go. Thank God for name badges here. Exactly, Omar, welcome, exactly. my friend. How are you? My, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Good, good. Thank you. Um, so let's start off really quickly. I talk about High Tide all the time on Cannabis Daily, on Cannabis Hour. High Tide is one of the most, I think, globally recognized brands, perhaps not in the U.S. yet, but we're going to touch on that. So yep, you want to just yep. touch on High Tide overall real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So we're the largest uh, cannabis retailer by revenue in Canada. Uh, as of today, it's 101 dispensaries across the country, uh, and we're we're opening. Uh, I think we're going to be open it, opening another one up uh, tomorrow. So stay tuned. <laughs> That's awesome uh, timing. But, but uh, you know, we are our history and, and and our core is in Canada, but we're much more than a Canadian company now. We're we're really a, a global uh, yeah, cannabis retail company, and we've got e-commerce assets across the globe. I won't go into all all, all of them, uh, but we have three of the five. Uh, most popular e-commerce platforms now for can for consumption accessories uh, in the world, uh, as well as a number of very very prominent uh, CBD brands. And popular one, one being sales, uh, popular being sales, popular being uh, site visits. So across all of our platforms in 2020, we had about 100 million site visits across the world, uh, and that's uh, that's growing exponentially uh, every month. Fantastic. So, and just to kind of put this into perspective, three digits is something that has three digit like retail footprint has been not been hit a lot. <laughs> like there may be three, four companies with that type of footprint globally, right? So uh, my understanding is we are now in terms of store count, the third largest uh, cannabis retailer in the world. Uh, and that's just our bricks and mortar footprint. You know, I, I was talking about some of our e-commerce assets as well. Uh, right now, our run rate for e-commerce revenue globally is about $60 million. With our recent acquisition of Blessed CBD in the UK, we anticipate that to go to over $200 million. So that would be, that's a, it's, right now, it's about 30% of our total revenue as a company. E-commerce uh, revenue. And I mean, looking into 2022, are you expecting that run rate to just double? Is that going to be a bigger part? Is it going to be about the same? How does that play into future? So... Uh, it's no secret that a lot of our acquisition plans, and we have a lot of, we have, we have heavy deal flow in our company. Uh, we, we have announcements quite regularly. If you follow uh, our news at all. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, but a, a lot of that pipeline is in the e-commerce space. I think that's all I can say right now. Uh, so stay tuned in the next few uh, weeks and months, and you'll hear some more news. But yes, we do anticipate growing that portfolio uh, exponentially, particularly with a focus on the U.S. Because, you know, unfortunately, I don't really anticipate in the short term movement on full federal legalization in the U.S. So what that means for us is that we're positioning ourselves to take advantage of uh, uh, what is already federally permissible. And that's why we're focusing on acquiring e-commerce platforms that focus on uh, consumption accessories and hemp derived CBD. Fantastic. And that's really your focus here in the U.S., you're yeah. saying? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So in, in terms of overall you know, U.S. goals. So, you know, U.S. is what everybody talks about, yep. even though, you know, Europe is twice as large. But, you know, you know, the U.S. opportunity for high tide in the future, does that excite you? Is that something, you know, it's just part of the plan? Well, absolutely. We actually have a, a, one of our main distribution warehouses right here in Las Vegas, uh, which I'm going to be checking out uh, later later in the week. Can I come? Uh, anytime, <laughs> anytime. We'd love to have you there. Uh, but, you know, you know, I said we're not anticipating... Uh, quick movement on federal legalization in the near term. I think it'll eventually happen. Uh, but what uh, what the benefit, you know, you know, one of the benefits of acquiring all of these e-commerce platforms uh, with existing traction on social media, existing customer lists, 
existing loyalty uh, uh, across across their nets is that if federal legalization does come, let's say next year, uh, we can flip a switch really quickly and enter the bricks and mortar game and even start selling cannabis, cannabis subscription boxes online pretty quickly. It's okay if the answer to this question is no, yeah. um, because I actually don't know. Are partnerships something you're looking at to set yourself up? Is Take one of your competitors, Fire and Flower, the Circle K deal, yeah. right? Is yeah. that something you all look at to enter into new markets? So, you know, right now we're really, really focused on broadening our e-commerce footprint in that accessories and CBD space, because you know what? It's accretive immediately. It, 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 it raises revenue. It, 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 it supports our shareholders now. Yeah. Are we, you know, are we always in conversations with various players uh, in the U.S. and abroad? about different types of deals, for sure. Uh, but right now, our focus is building out that e-commerce portfolio that will be accretive right now in the uh, in the accessories and CBD space. So e-commerce is is probably the name of the game right now. And I love that. You said the word shareholders. Yep. That, that, that takes me a little bit to the stock because High Tide recently uplisted. I would say yep. recently, you know, give or take a few months. But being NASDAQ has its benefits to our investor audience versus OTC. It's un the unfortunate name of the game in this industry. Has that affected you all in a very positive way so far? Yeah, so I'm not going to pretend to be our capital markets yeah, no advisor. Uh, he's actually here as well, but he's not He's not available to be here for this podcast today. Uh, but look, uh, you know, we, we moved on to the NASDAQ. Or we, we strategically, you know, prioritized uplisting to the NASDAQ for a number of reasons. Uh, one, uh, you know, we... We, we talked about our U.S. footprint in that accessories and CBD space in, in, in e-commerce. Um, you know, we are more and more looking to the United States as, a, as, a, as where this company is going to be growing. Uh, being on the NASDAQ gets us, uh, provides access uh, to High Tide and our shares to a much larger base of potential retail investors uh, than we had over the OTC markets or that we even have in Canada through the TSX Venture Exchange. Um, so, look, it, it's, it's been all positive for us. Uh, our stock price is up over 100 percent, I think, uh, from uh, from 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 January, no from January 2021. I, I don't have the exact number. It, it fluctuates, obviously. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're not looking at a data. At a, if you if you if you get obsessed by looking at the day to day fluctuations in any stock price, you're kind of taking your eye off the ball. We're look we're always looking, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Canadian, so I'm going to quote Wayne Gretzky. Uh, the greatest <laughs> hockey player ever. Wayne Gretzky always used to say, uh, you got the good hockey players go to where the puck is going, not where the puck is. And we're always looking at where the puck is going uh, down the line. And, and that's, where, that's where we focus our strategy. One thing I wouldn't mind mentioning, uh, if we have a couple seconds, just in that vein is, this morning we announced a shift uh, in our retail strategy in Canada. Uh, and it's a shift based on two pilot projects that we ran. Uh, in, in Canada, as well as our own internal data. And what those pilot projects and that data showed us is that there is a huge opportunity in Canada in terms of growing market share by targeting value-oriented customers, and particularly those who are still loyal to the, to the legacy or the illicit market, which is still, it's about 40% of sales in Canada. Wow, uh, still? To, yeah, it's, about, oh it's down Lord. from about 87% three years ago, wow. but, but it's, about, it's still about 40% of sales. So what we're doing is we're, as of today, we're transitioning all of our stores to be a membership discount club based model. So kind of like Costco, which everybody's familiar with. Uh, so what it means is membership will initially be free. Uh, but if you become a Cabana Club member, uh, you will have access to deep, deep discounts and other perks 
uh, similar to what you would get at Costco. Uh, and so we're really going all in on the value segment of the market. I love that. Uh, I mean, in cost, you know, some people come in and disrupt the market and it makes a lot of people angry, but like that's a successful business model, right? I mean, that like going into that model now ahead of uh, dropping prices in the future already gives you a growing base. Well, so Ontario is the largest province in Canada. Uh, so the Ontario Canada store, which is the provincial uh, wholesaler, uh, they they issued some some data uh, not not too long ago that suggests that 70% of Ontario cannabis consumers are extremely price conscious. Uh, so if you take that and then you look at the 40% that are still uh, loyal to the legacy and illicit market, that's really where the opportunity for us is to grow our market share. And look, we're we're not going to shy away from that. We are all in. That's what our customers want. They want a high quality product. They want it at a low price, and that's what we're going to give them. Fantastic. Aaron, how much time do I have? Okay. Um, can you talk to me a little bit? I mean, U.S. obviously is probably where the focus is, right? Yep. You know, you're already a mainstay. I mean, probably an understatement in Canada. Can you talk to me a little bit about maybe the Latin American market, the Mexican market, if that's at all in your future versus Europe? I mean, is there anything else exciting there? So it could be. Um, but, you know, again, uh, we like to uh, not bite off more than we can chew at any one given time. I mentioned our deal flow and our pipeline. It's pretty significant. It's pretty aggressive right now. Uh, so, you know, our focus right now is expanding our presence here in the United States, uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, I mentioned we had just acquired Blessed CBD out of the UK uh, and, and in the European Union for hemp-derived CBD. Uh, that's where our focus is right now. We're going to continue growing in Canada. We're, our, our aim is to get to 200 uh, stores across Canada. Uh, if, an, you know, if an opportunity arises in Latin America or elsewhere, uh, we'll take a look at it. But right now, we really want to stay focused uh, on, you know, we want to keep our eye on the prize. And that's uh, the you, that's North America and Europe. Well, right now, I think Global Player probably has like a limited aspect just because of how many markets are legalized. For sure, for yeah, sure. So, and uh, I mean, Mexican market is going to be a huge market, but it's, you know, it's not quite there yet. <laughs> so it's, yeah. you know, I understand the, definitely the, you know, well, we're definitely keep keeping an eye on it, yeah. but uh, you know, our focus right now is on servicing uh, the, uh, even more us consumers and customers uh, with our e-commerce platforms that are already very popular. We want to grow those down here. I love the one type of product that you guys focus on at high tide in that market. Uh, so there, there's quite a few, you know, obviously bongs are, are, uh, <laughs> are always a big mover. Gravity bongs. No, yeah. um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, you, you can go to grasscity.com and check out the whole array of products. Grasscity.com. So we're going to wrap up here, but I mean, high tide is an incredible company. Again, that's NASDAQ listed H I T I massive company in Canada. You said you want to hit 200 stores, any type of goal on timeline for that. Obviously not a promise, Totally recognize that. Yeah. But uh, so we, we haven't set a timeline for that. Obviously, you know, we've been growing quite aggressively. Right. Um, you know, we're at 101 stores in just three years from, from legalization in Canada. Um, so we're going to keep uh, our growth trajectory going as is. Um, you know, it was slowed down a little bit because of the pandemic. Canada had a lot of um, uh, lockdowns and, and, and that slowed down building permits and whatnot. But we're quite confident that we'll be able to hit that 200 store target soon. In terms of your M&A in specifically the U.S., I know it's e-commerce focused, yeah. um, you know, but looking at how I've seen a few MSOs react, this will be my last question, so feel free to wrap up for sure, this as sure. well. Um, they don't need legalization. 
they're all about rolling up brands, rolling up as much as possible before it's federally legal. So with that in mind, does that is that also somewhat of a mindset of a, uh, of uh, a Canadian-based company coming into the U.S., or is it completely different? Well, look, like I said, you know, 30% of our revenue right now is from e-commerce, and the bulk of that is from the U.S. So I consider ourselves, yes, we're, you know, we're founded and based in Canada, but we are an American company. We're serving, you know, uh, American co consumers across the board. Yeah, the MSOs can play their game, the, uh, and, and they're very good at it. Uh, and we're going to play our game. And we've been, well very, we've, been very, we've been very good at our game. It's been very successful for us. We're focused on accessories and CBD e-commerce in the United States. You know, we're vertically integrated in terms of our, the, our manufacturing of accessories, which means that we're already supplying dispensaries across the United States with our accessories. So we have those relationships. So if legalization happens tomorrow, we have the relationships to be able to very quickly flip a switch strike a deal and set up bricks and mortar and online THC sales, cannabis sales very quickly. So the growth is, it's, it's immense. The growth opportunity here with high tide is immense. Once federal legalization uh, takes place and well, you even guys, without it, like yeah. I said, uh, there is a enormous opportunity already. That's already accretive for our shareholders right. to grow our portfolio in the e-commerce accessories and CBD space. If legalization happens, we're confident that we'll, that we're well set up to take advantage of that as well. Fantastic. Awesome. High Tide, awesome company. Thank you again for being here. You said Grass City? Yeah, so our, our big uh, uh, accessories platforms in the U.S. are Grass City, Daily High Club, and Smoke Cartel. And on the CBD side, uh, we just acquired Black. Awesome. Omar, thanks for being here. My, my pleasure. Friend. Really my pleasure. appreciate you. Appreciate right. the opportunity. Yeah, of course. Awesome. So that's High Tide, uh, one of the major public companies. We're going to transition here uh, to the next one and we'll get going. But uh, thanks again, Omar. Um, oh, I see a wonderful face here. She's got some news to tell. I'm going to get out of the way for them. Thanks again, Omar. Appreciate you, my friend. Awesome. Patrick. Coming in, coming in, my friends. He's the less cool brother. Elliot's, oh, the less cool brother. Watch, here it happens. A distinct pleasure. Go ahead and sit down. I get to welcome Nancy Whiteman from Wana Brands. It is so good to see you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's great to be here. Awesome. So, you guys, everyone in the world, unless you're living under a rock, has probably heard the news about Wana Brands and canopy growth, but let's hear it directly from the person who's probably the most to, <laughs> okay. right? Tell us a little bit about the news, but tell us, you've been in this space, you're an OG in I this am. space, yeah. right? So yes. tell us about what it means for you, what it means to the company. I mean, God, it must be such a moment. It really is. Uh, so I have been in the industry since 2010. And wow. As wow. we all know, one cannabis year is like a dog year, right? So that's 77 years in cannabis. But seven is a lucky number. So I guess I got double luck on this one. And it, it's actually funny because we had a company meeting uh over the summer, we had our 10th year plus one anniversary because we couldn't have last year due to COVID. Wow. And we were all sharing stories of the early days of Lana, including things like I had a desk chair that was so decrepit, it was held together with duct tape and everybody signed it <laughs> like it was a cat. So to say that we've come a long way from our very grassroots beginnings would be oh, a bit man. of an understatement. So we're excited and thrilled and the industry changed and one changed with it and we've grown and um what an amazing journey it's been and what an incredible uh, a reward this was well good for you and and when it comes to 
I mean, really what strikes me too, as you're saying this, right? Um, growing during a pandemic like yes. COVID and its effect on everybody cannot be understated, right. especially this industry. Um, but how does a deal like this come to fruition during what has got to be one of the craziest, you know, 18 to 24 months this industry or any industry has seen in recent memory? How does, how does this happen? When, like, when does discussion start? I mean, my <laughs> gosh, this has got to be something that a labor of love that you did in a crazy, crazy environment. It was a crazy environment. And um, th the reality is, is that that I actually have known Canopy for quite a long time. We actually initially talked to them when we were looking for partners in Canada, didn't end up putting together a deal there. But I did get to know some of the folks at Canopy then. And of course that was several years ago three and a half years ago just about wow and um so the company has changed tremendously since then new management new infusion of of capital with with constellation um so we were sort of known entities to one another and our presence in canada was helpful too we are the number one edibles company in canada mm -hmm. um and so we're they certainly were aware of our much in touch with each other and um, really uh, got to know one another and got to uh, see how we were aligned as companies. And I was very pleased with um, what I learned about Canopy. I think they, uh, first and foremost, I think they share our values and they share our vision of what this industry is going to become. Really cool. And I, th I would put that uh, like this. So, um, you know, I, I, there's no huger fan than I am of, of cannabis as an alcohol replacement. Sure. But I also see it as so much more. I see it as an instrument of change uh, for people's health and wellness, mm. uh, giving people options for plant-based medicines that are very effective without any side effects. Um, and so I really was looking for a partner who shared our passion uh, for cannabis and for all the science and innovation that's going on, because that's a huge focus for our company. Very happy to see that uh, Canopy was very aligned with how we saw the industry in terms of where they saw the potential of the industry. So it has to start with shared values and shared vision of where you're going. Um, and then, you know, the other factors for me were um, their financial strength, mm -hmm. um, their, their resources, um, their uh, footprint that they've already established both in Canada and in other markets, um, the strength of their strategy for entering the United States, because really at the end of the day, that's what this deal is about. Uh, they are trying to set up as intelligently as they can post-legalization mm -hmm. to have a strong footprint in the United States. And I feel like WANA can be an important part of that strategy for them. We're currently in 12 markets. We're onboarding in four more right now. We're in nine markets in, in Canada. So we have a very well-established footprint in the United States in all the major markets. Well, let's 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 jump off there into a discussion about expansion, right? Yes. I mean, talking about the resources that Canopy has. Yes. Talking about being, uh, uh, let's call them the first mover, right? And and, be, and yourself a first mover in terms of what you've been able to accomplish in markets here and in Canada. Where do you go next? Where where does market expansion take you? And um, you know, the question these days always seems to be: Is it is it boots on the ground? Is it from a licensing perspective? Mm -hmm. What's the what's the next step for you? 
Well, you know, we have pursued sort of a, a, a capital light uh, asset uh, uh, model. So we have done licensing agreements with mm-hmm. our partners outside of Colorado. We're licensed soldiers in Colorado. All our other relationships are licensing relationships with different levels of revenue share, depending on who does what in the partnership. And that has been a really successful strategy for us. It's not without its challenges, heaven knows, but um, it has allowed us to get to markets very, very quickly. And one of the things that that we recognized early on is that to be successful with that, we really needed to build out a very robust market expansion team, which we we have, and they are absolutely wonderful. So that continues. So we I, I mentioned uh, we're in the process of launching four new markets now. That'll put us in 16 states um, by early 2022, January, I think, or February, maybe for the last wow. of the four. And then we're in discussions with Don't probably five sleep, or six Nancy? other states. My Do God. I sleep? <laughs> my God, well, how quickly. My goodness, this gives me the opportunity to talk about our new sleep gummies. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> That's where I was going next. This is good. Uh, no, in all seriousness, you know, I, I have been fortunate to get a lot of nice comments, but I have to give the credit to my team. I have the most amazing team. They're absolutely fabulous. They're the people who actually get it all done, you know, so, you know, my hat's off to them. That's phenomenal. Well, in the time that we have left and Aaron, producer Aaron, let me know where we are. Five minutes. Wonderful. So, Nancy, when it comes to innovation, right, let's definitely dive in there because this is a a market that is constantly moving Mm -hmm. and the the momentum seems to be in this cannabis 3.0 edibles into beverages into whatever is next. Mm -hmm. Right. What do you see? Right. And where is Juana going yes. when it comes to how you innovate, right. where, where you're putting your focus? Yeah. So I would say that innovation is uh, one of our top two strategies. Market expansion and innovation are really what we focus on uh, with the underpinning of quality and consistency in everything that we do. But one of the things that um, fortunately for us, we have been extremely profitable. And what that's enabled us to do is really put a lot of resources into innovation. Mm. And um, we just released a new product line in Colorado. The first two products have have hit the market. The product line is called Optimals. And it's really all about use case specific formulations for particular needs. So we will have a formulation for every major thing that you hear people using cannabis for. These are highly formulated products. These are not, let's just dump some CBN and, and call it good into a sleep product. Um, our fast asleep product is a quick onset sleep product. It has a small amount of THC, CBN, CBG, CBD, proprietary terpene blends for sleep, one mm. milligram of melatonin, all wrapped up in a quick onset technology. So it's uh, fabulous. Can I um, give you my address? Yes, please? <laughs> that's my... what everybody says. God, that sounds incredible. It is incredible. And it's, it's incredible on two fronts. First of all, it's fantastic for people who have trouble falling asleep. But I don't. I don't have trouble falling asleep. I have trouble staying asleep. So I keep uh, one on my nightstand. And if I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I just pop it in. And then I go back to sleep. Um, and then our second product is called Wanna Fit. And it's our first THCV product. And THCV is a cannabinoid that actually, ironically, not only doesn't give you the munchies, it actually helps with appetite modulation All and right. focus. Um, so those are our two first products. They're right now, they're just in Colorado. We'll be rolling them out to our other markets soon. But we have an extremely robust innovation pipeline. We probably have 
oh gosh, we've got a lot of products in the pipeline. So that's really um, what really excites me. I think that when I think about what brands will be successful in the future, I don't think it's, uh, you know, sort of duking it out, if you will, with the existing uh, market and joining the race to the bottom and doing things that will end up in in low profitability for your company, if not actually losing money. I think it really is the brands who figure out how to bring new people into the marketplace and grow the pie. And that's really what we're focused on. Well, and and, and probably just one more question here, but when it comes to how you work with some of the the major operators and uh, in some of these markets that you're expanding to, right? I know you have some wonderful relationships. We do. How do you craft that that deal? How do you go about crafting the right mix of, all right, we'll bring this to the table. You'll bring this to the table. That's yes. got to be a big part of that relationship, it is. right? It's a huge part of it. And, and uh, Patrick, I always joke about this, but I always say no matter what anybody asks me in cannabis, whatever the question is, the answer is always, it depends. That's always <laughs> the right answer, right? And it's the same thing with our licensing deals because every market is different. It's different in terms of regulatory structure, number of licenses, competitive landscape, and every partner is different in terms of their capabilities, what their business model is. You know, are they a contract manufacturer? Do they have their own brands? Mm. All of those things enter into how we structure our deals. There is no one size fits all. We do what makes sense for the partnership and what makes sense for the market. We're extremely transparent with our partners. Uh, We open book negotiation. We do it together. We talk very openly about if you want this structure, you do this, we do this. If you want this structure, we do this, you do this. So we have um, some core things that don't change market to market, but we also have a lot of customization. Phenomenal. When the last thing, Nancy, again, you've been in this industry a while. What can you say to some of our listeners here, the investors that are watching, right? Uh, You've aligned yourself with a phenomenal company in CGC. Uh, you've been around, you've seen the good, you've seen the bad. Right. Any any tips, anything you want to say to the investors watching the show? You know, I, I guess I would like to say something, and this is my perspective in terms of how I have run WANA, is um, pay attention to the fundamentals. Mm. Look for companies that have a true pathway to profitability. There's a lot of uh, uh, price compression going on right now. There is. And um, I, I don't think... Um, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing for the industry when people are trying to gain market share by losing money. Um, I think ultimately that's not a sustainable strategy, and I think people need to be looking hard at that. Big, big problem, especially in California, right? Yes. We're, we're very aware of that. So uh, wonderful advice. Nancy Whiteman from Wana Brands, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you for having me, Patrick. Our pleasure. All right. All right. Okay. It was wonderful. (laughs) So thank you, Shauna. Thank you, Nancy. I'll take this. Okay. We'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. All right, my friends. Producer Aaron Thomas. You know what? Producer Aaron Thomas, come over here for a second. Come on over here. Yeah. No. Aaron Thomas, producer extraordinaire, is not going to come in front of the camera. Elliot Lane He's, is back. Sit down. Have a seat. Yeah, we have our next guest here shortly. But right, I know good. Patrick is just camera addicted over here. Well, so. listen, I wanted to bring producer Aaron Thomas. By the way, I don't know him as Aaron or 18. Aaron Thomas anymore. It's producer Aaron Thomas. Or AT. Or, or AT. Fine, whatever. Listen. How many names do you have? He's got a lot of names. None of this would happen without producer Aaron Thomas. Yeah, no. I tried to get him in front of the camera for you guys. Hey, real quick, can we plug Cannabis Daily? Plug Cannabis so, Daily. So Cannabis Daily, y'all, is something Aaron and I do Every weekday, we have been very busy the past two weeks with our own event, uh, with this event. But basically, 
stock picks and news every morning at 10 a.m. You can check Benzinga.com slash podcasts or go to Apple, go to Spotify. Uh, it's really just five minutes. We catch up on news about High Tide, about Nancy, about Canopy. We cover all of them. So um, this is really just me and Aaron just chatting about it. Uh, we're open to any feedback or things you guys want. Cannabis Hour at Benzinga.com. Shoot us an email. Back to you, Patrick. Uh, oh, wow. You're getting good at this. You're getting good at this. No, so I, I listen, the thing that I really enjoyed about my conversation with Nancy just now is that you have an OG, somebody who's been in the industry longer than most of the people at this conference, right? She's the queen of cannabis. She is. We know she is. But look at look at what she's built. She built a solid foundation for a team that has now really cornered the market in terms of edibles in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, and I and I don't say that flippantly, right? She she has been a known commodity in this industry for a long time. Well, and look at the success of those licensing her products in Canada. Indiva has had an amazing second half of the year so far in Canada. They license Wana and Bang and a few other, but I would say Wana is probably a leading driver there. It's got to be. It's got to be. And when I think about too what she has built in this particular deal with with Canopy, right? And she mentioned this on the uh, on in her interview. It's all about the culmination of years of relationship making, right? And that's what conferences like like ours and MJ Biz are really here to do, right? We're here to connect these people who are uh, the movers and shakers in this industry, right? Patrick's um, favorite phrase. Movers and shakers. Movers and shakers. <laughs> Why don't we have a podcast called Movers and Shakers? We really yes. should. Picks and... Oh, Lord. Oh. Movers and shakers, <laughs> picks and shovels, producer AT. AT's got some marks in the... In the, in the bin there, man. That's I awesome. like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, who's, who is up next? We have Audacious Brands. Awesome. Booth, and Javier is going to be joining us. I think he's he might planning be. out his plan of attack. He might be. He might um, be. But we have a few other awesome interviews coming up. Joe Cotabiano. Uh, oh, yeah. That's going to be exciting. And really cool one there. Yes, Brad Natras. Um, they have been absolutely destroying it oh, lately. Uh, UGRO, the ticker there, and obviously what they've built, especially with this new, you guys, I cannot understate the importance of this new financial services division, being able to offer equipment financing to some of their clients already in the pipe, already needing that service. It's an easy path to extra revenue for him. So I'll ask him about that later on. Well, and the vertical farming aspect that I, yes. I don't know if he has yes. yet or not, but I imagine he's thinking about it. Um, the international scene for him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, to my knowledge, he's one of the few uh, in hydroponics players that is international yes. in this space. So it looks like we are ready to move on. To awesome. The next interview. It's been fun, you guys. You I'll guys be back soon. with you in a second. Here is the man, the myth, the legend, the international man of mystery, Terry Booth and Javier Haas. Come on in, you guys. Come on in. The podcast so Booth. We got Mr. Terry Booth. Yes. CEO of Audacious, you know, also known as Australia's Capital. Previously with Aurora, small company, maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. Terry, thank you so much for joining us at Benzinga Cannabis Hour, live from the floor of MJ BizCon. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm excited. I'm excited. We got. Uh... It's good to see the people here. A lot of our people are from the Nevada office. Um, haven't even met some of them until last night. Oh, yeah. Employees. And, uh, That's a pandemic and, classic. And then look at this place. This used to be 200 people 10 years ago. And, and now we're, uh, I don't know what the attendance is. It's fantastic. Were, were you here when, when it was 200 people? Uh, 100%. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was 400. I don't know. But it was just small. 
So, I mean, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your beginnings in cannabis? I know you, you we, we've shared this before, but it's always kind of cool yeah. to. Sure, yeah, if you want to go back to my very beginnings in cannabis, we'd have to go back to high school, right? Perfect. And um, in, in high school, uh, obviously participated in, in cannabis. Not recommended. Yeah, not, not recommended. After I reached 18. Mm -hmm. um, and got married at age 20 and started a couple of businesses. Um, but my partner came to me. I was, I was getting ready to go golfing. I was doing my, bet, my bets online. And he said, when I look at a cannabis play, marijuana play. We used to call it marijuana. <laughs> yeah, marijuana, everyone did. We, we were yeah. pretty, um, I think, an instrumental. Marijuana stocks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I thought he was a full of shit. I thought he was, you know, <laughs> yeah, I thought he was lying to me. And I was just trying to get him on my office because he's a joker. But next thing you know, we're, we're off to a small facility in Calgary. Um, it was under the medical system at the time where you only had four patients. And in Canada, they were um, commercializing the medical system. So I went on what's called a little bit of a pilgrimage down the West Coast into the interior of British Columbia. I met a lot of great people and uh, soaked myself into the medical cannabis and, and to understand what it was all about. And visiting dispensaries, you know, you think there would be kids playing video games. Mm -hmm. Mainly it was people my age or older um, getting, uh, getting some cannabis for what ails them. Um, so that was about two months. Uh, maybe three, and when I came back, Steve and I invested, and we built the first purposeful built facility in Canada. Uh, there was some other guys that um, you know put some lights up in chocolate factories. Oh yeah, and whatnot, right, cool. I'm having dinner with him tonight, uh, with Bruce. <laughs> so it, it's uh, an interesting journey, the Aurora journey. I think we built a great brand. You know, talking 25 countries into having uh, medical cannabis is pretty cool. That's not easy, you know. So um, next thing you know. Oh, Miss, Miss Philpott stood up at the uh, New York uh, UN convention and uh, announced that Canada was legalizing cannabis for adult usage. And uh, whoa, that was a good, that was a good, uh, a good story. And I actually won a bet from Steve when that happened. Mm -hmm. I told him, I said, this is going to be legalized, man. And, and it was. Yeah. And um, away we went, um, building the Aurora brand. Um, uh, left Aurora, obviously, about two years ago. And uh, Australis and Audacious are, uh, are, my, are my, my, love, my love affair right now. Very busy on building this company. We've um, done a great job with the seasoned uh, executive team. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, since this March, I think we're into five states now. We were in one before. Um, extremely undervalued. Yeah. Yeah. A-U-S-A-F, right? Uh, yeah, on, on the OTC, A-U-S-A-F. Um, on Canada, A-U-S-A. How's it going, A? USA. Perfect. USA. What, what are you doing? I mean, Australis, Audacious. How, how do you, you know, are they different brands? Are they the same thing? Are they the same company? Uh, yeah. How do they coexist? Well, we, we kept uh, Australis, obviously, for corporate reasons mm -hmm. and maybe international medical and whatnot. But Audacious is our adult usage brand. It really is. It, it's going to yeah. be um, something we're rolling out. We have a number of brands already um, under do tell. The Audacious. Uh, do tell. Well, we have, um, <laughs> I'll start with Mr. Natural. Excuse Yep. That's what it's there for. <laughs> I put you on the spot there, like name your no, brands. No, no. Yeah, name your okay. brands. Okay. I mean, Mr. Natural is a um, ordained white Rastafarian priest. Um, been growing cannabis longer than I've been alive. <laughs> um, he, he's from the Bronx. He's a military vet and he's. Um, uh, grown his cultivars over many, many years, mainly for his himself. Um, but in the last 10 or 20 years, obviously, he's uh, 
he sold a lot of cannabis, a lot of stuff in Jamaica um, and whatnot. And uh, you, you have to meet the guy. He's amazing. Um, and he, he grows amazing organic cannabis. Um, he's the type of guy that can taste the dirt. Love that. He would tell you the alkalines are high. I, I, I'll only take organic. Yeah. If it's sun growing, yeah. even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And, and then we've got um, uh, GT, which is Green Therapeutics. And they have a, a number of brands. Um, Tsunami is their Tsunami brand. It's like very high THC. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and it's a, a connoisseur type, type brand. Great, great, great brand. And then we've got a um, Provisions, which is um, everyday sort of soccer mom type brand, if you will. Sorry, soccer moms, but it's like, it's just a chill brand. I actually love it. It's like a cart brand. Yeah, it could be a soccer dad. Soccer dad, sure. Soccer dad. I coach soccer actually indoor when I was football. In better shape. Football dad. <laughs> yeah, football. Yeah, football for football. the rest of the world. The um the other one that we're excited about is loose. Uh, a loose is a, uh, a a shot. It's a drink, and it's um L U C E L O O S. Oh, loose. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Get loose. Hang, 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 hang. Time to get shifty. Yeah, and and that's out of California. Anthony and Ben. Uh, we we bought their company a little while ago. We announced. I can't remember. Less than six weeks ago, they're already sold out. Right? <laughs> they're already sold out of this uh, amazing shot. You know, in Canada, we're only allowed ten mig in a drink. In Cali, hundred mig. Nice shot. So you know, it's like a good night, Irene, for some of us. But um, so, so th- those are some of them. They're they're all catching on. We're in Cali. We're in Nevada. We're in Oklahoma. We're in Missouri. We did we're doing a deal in Massachusetts. I've got four lobbyists hired on the East Coast. Working on New Jersey and New York, so it's busy. How does it feel, right? Going like you said, you know, going from two hundred people in and in a room of hundred people, and and like convincing governments that medical cannabis was a thing, to coming to Vegas and seeing your own brands for sale for everyone and anyone yeah. over twenty-one. Like you can walk into a store and buy weed. You can yeah. call it cannabis. Yeah. It's it's freaking weed. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. surreal. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it is. Um, it's too bad COVID's around because it sort of takes a bit of a damper on it. But um, you cannot yeah. share joints. That yeah. that's sad. Yeah, we have in Canada we have these little ones called dog walkers. Yeah, they're like dog walkers. Perfect. Yeah, yeah perfect, perfect size. You don't have to share them. Maybe you hog with them. You knocking on the window there. Um, but well, how do I feel about it? I'm proud, man. I'm proud of what we've accomplished this cannabis space. And there's a lot of smart people in this space. A lot of savvy businessmen and businesswomen um, getting shit done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have to remember about our you know, social equity, inclusion, and diversity. Um, I think we're one of the only MSOs that has an independent committee that advises management on SE. So we're pumped about that, too, on, on social equity. Some of the states have uh, um, done a great job of it, and others are fixing it, uh, making sure that uh, we, we include right? well, well, What are you doing, like, like, specifically on social equity? What is this commission about? Yeah. I mean, what, what does... The work. We have a, a policy. Um, obviously, every company has a social equity policy. And that policy has to be um, communicated to all of our, our staff. The other thing we're doing is educating. We don't want to just have people on the shop floor and give them a job. And, you know, oh, we did a great job of hiring uh, yeah. people that aren't so fortunate. We want to educate them from seed to sale. Uh, we're, we're doing that. We're, t- we're talking to SUNY, um, to other universities. We've got a deal in Canada. Where we're bringing the course and the content, and we'll we'll deliver it, and that's a big part of the, the social equity piece. Mm-hmm. Last one. I mean, PBR beyond being a eh, not one of my favorite beers is um, the Professional Bull Riders, yeah. you know, association. Um, <laughs> what's I mean, up with that? 
I'm from Western Canada, so I, I've been to the Yard Rodeo. Uh, but these bull riders. This is not man, your first rodeo, yeah, okay? Is, this is serious stuff, man. They get bounced around. I was watching the other day, and this bull, the guy did his eight seconds, and he got off, and he started walking a little bit cocky, and, and the bull nosed him in the butt, and then horned him into the fence. And I think that guy might be in pain later on, right? So the yeah. the Tiwik PBR no is a is a CBD topical. We think we're the first with a major sports association to have um, this happening. So it's called Rect. Rect relief, and we'll have it on the shelves in November for the uh, it's called Unleash the Beast, and it's here in Nevada. So of course, I'll, I'll it be is. Back. I'll be back. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah. that's a fun thing to see you for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, and you know what? We're gonna have it for the bulls as well. Once we can start, start ingesting it, because it, it helps animals as well with their pain. It does. Uh, that's crazy. And Love that was it. our entry into the CBD space. For that's what that was. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Any last thoughts? Anything you want to share with? Uh, you know, investors, potential investors, your shareholders. Yeah, you, you know, um, we're undervalued in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, but we're just out of the gate since March, really. Um, uh, buy the stock, peace and love. AUSA or AUSAF. You bet, you bet. Yeah. Terry? You're going to have fun. Thank you okay. so much for joining us at Benzinga Cannabis Hour. And, and I'm sure we'll have you again on you very soon. Thanks, man. Enjoy Thank you. Your time. There you go. <laughs> peace and love. I love this shirt. Where do I get one? Go to our booth. We got a ton of them. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I'll get one. Yeah, you bet. You're going to see Elliot in an Audacious brand shirt here in a bit. That's fantastic. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate you, my friend. Awesome. So, Javier, Joe's just right outside. If you can, if one of you would mind sending him in. Yeah. Where's mine? Hey, guys. Uh, I am back. So we have another exciting company here for you. I know SPACs have been a huge discussion point. Uh, for, for the Benzinga audience. So with that in mind, we have a SPAC that has a goal of becoming an MSO. So this conversation is incredibly exciting on multiple levels. Um, you know, SPACs, the popularity has worn down a bit, um, but I, I think Joe, if there was one led by one executive, it's Joe, and I'm very excited for it. So let's, let's bring him on. Joe, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having <laughs> me. How are you? Oh, we're doing fine. So Everybody, this is Joe Caltabiano. Did I say that correctly? Caltabiano. Caltabiano. Pretty, pretty I was somewhat close. <laughs> My grandfather would have been mad, but uh, I'll, I'll take it well. All right. Well, I, Caltabiano. Fair enough. All right. I think I messed that one up, too. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So, Joe, why don't you, if you don't mind, just introducing yourself. Yeah. Hi. Uh, you know, Joe Caltabiano. I'm the uh, founder of Choice Consolidation. Uh, we're a, a publicly traded SPAC that went public early this year. Uh, my prior background in the cannabis space, I co-founded Cresco Labs um, yes. and built that up out of, uh, you know, concept into operation, took it public, uh, stepped away in March of 2020, and now uh, uh, launched this back, and, and I'm excited to get back to work. So um, been a good good ride so far. That's fantastic. And the SPAC launched earlier this year, correct? Yeah, we went live uh, in the first quarter this year. We raised $172 million. Um, in a relatively short period of time. Pennies. Uh, Pennies, yeah, right. Joe. <laughs> so, you know, fortunately, I've had a, a really good track record in the capital market space in cannabis and, uh, you know, took that opportunity to, to 
launched the SPAC, we went out with a relatively modest ask of $100 million, which in cannabis is on the lower side. We were oversubscribed by three times um, wow. and we're able to put together a really strong investor base and go out and start looking for target acquisitions. And, you know, excited to say we're seeing a lot of progress and a lot of opportunities and, and hope to be able to announce something in the relatively short future. I'm so excited for that. Uh, you, can't, you don't even know. But let's start a little bit, if you don't mind, with Cresco Labs uh, and your experience there and, and how that has prepared you for, for the creation of what you're doing now. Sure. You know, I mean, uh, pioneering the markets, you know, in, in 2013, it was the, the idea to get into the cannabis space. I had cancer when I was a kid, so been very involved in cancer philanthropic activities and saw that you would see this evolution of the, the medical community really start to adapt to cannabis. 50% of waiting rooms were utilizing cannabis, so I knew that it wouldn't be illegal forever, you know, and you'd start seeing these highly educated people starting recommending and, and certifying patients. So when Illinois passed a law, decided to uh, enter the space, form Cresco, we were fortunate to win three cultivation licenses in Illinois and were very excited, but then met with the adversity of a de novo program in a Midwestern state with a conservative Republican governor. So, you know, all of the excitement gets hit with a brick wall and you've got to overcome those obstacles. So, you know, firmly believer, again, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. So navigating through the Illinois market very early on, um, you know, those were those were severe headwinds. And to be able to navigate through that kind of prepares you for anything. So can you kind of just walk us through how close is the model of what you're building now to what you built there? Sure. It's, it's relatively similar. You know, I think um, my fundamental beliefs in the space are still intact that limited license markets with high barrier to entry and significant regulation is where you can really achieve outsized returns. So as an investor, you know, putting your money not only where the biggest market is, but where can you maximize the return? And that's what Cresco was about. That's what Choice is about, is if we put a dollar into that market, can we get $4 out or can we get $6 out? And that comes from a supply-demand imbalance. That comes from limited license markets. So, you know, states like Illinois and Pennsylvania and Ohio and Massachusetts and Maryland and New York and New Jersey, um, Florida, you know, those are, those are some of the states that I think have the highest opportunity for return on invested capital, which at the end of the day, what this is all about, you know, is how do you maximize dollars? Obviously, I think we're doing a lot of good introducing this product, both to the medical patients as well as the adult use customers. But from an investor standpoint, how do you maximize your returns? Where do I put my dollars? And I think you see it in the most successful MSOs. Um, you know, they're driving revenue out of those core markets of Illinois and Pennsylvania and Florida is really driving, you know, return on invested capital. So same thing, vertical market, vertic being vertical in all the markets, I still think is very important. Choice will look to be vertical in every state that we operate in. Um, so pretty fundamental beliefs that uh, we started with in day one at Cresco. I love that. Can you, I mean, to the extent that you can talk about it, can you talk a little bit about your acquisition strategy and how you're targeting, who you're targeting for this? Sure. You know, uh, obviously we're a public company, so I, I can't, right. you know, share everything. But where, where I look at the, the cannabis market, the single state operators are the best operators in the marketplace. You know, people who... Uh, applied for licenses, won licenses, sometimes were part of writing those bills, are very involved from the, the grassroots level. So they know what the regulators want out of an operator. They understand the rules and regulations in that marketplace. They know how to navigate it. But then they also know their employees and they know their customers. So it's somebody who's hyper-focused on those markets, but unfortunate for them without safe banking or without 
traditional access to capital, those single state operators have a very high cost of capital if they're even able to achieve getting capital. So where I feel like I can provide incredible value is introduce a lower cost of capital, someone who's kind of scaled up a company across the country, apply those things to various single state operators and bring them together to perform and, and ultimately become the next you know, MSO that's really rooted in those fundamental markets. Now this may be an obvious question or setting you up for an obvious answer, but are the players right now in the MSO market, the players we're gonna see win this at the end of the day? I think, yes, I, I do think the MSOs are now achieving scale. They are deploying capital appropriately. You know, maybe there's some that have kind of taken their eye off some of the ball, but in general, the businesses are really performing at a high level. Um, they're attracting top tier talent. Uh, they now have access to lower costs of capital every day. I think you just saw, you know, Verano put out a 8% interest yeah, yeah. rate. Yeah, I mean, so that that is down 50% over the last 18 months. Um, so that helps, right? That, that cures a lot of missteps along the way. But I do think the MSOs are doing really well. I think we have a, you know, a opportunity to catch up. And that's framed by the fact that these limited license markets are exactly that. You can only have 10 retail licenses in Illinois. You can only have five retail stores in, Mass in, uh, in Ohio. You can only have three adult use stores in Massachusetts. So once the MSOs achieve scale in those markets, they have to look to deploy capital elsewhere. California, Europe, other markets that might not have the same level of return. So I think the MSOs are doing very well. I think they're gonna continue to be there. You might see some more consolidation a la True Leave and Harvest um, as we continue to go forward. But you know, I think for, for, um, for the foreseeable future, you're gonna see those MSOs continue to, to be a material player in the marketplace. You know, I guess the one exception is you're seeing a lot of the new states really focus on diversity, really focus on inclusion, really focus on you know, spreading the wealth, so to speak. So the MSOs might have a little trouble winning future de novo licenses right. would be something to watch out for. With a lot of these MSOs seeking, in a way, we'll say, expansion into Europe, into these other markets, is that something you feel you'll have to do eventually as well? Or you want to? No, for me, I mean, I think the U.S. is is where you're going to make, you know, the, the highest return on invested capital for sure. I think the opportunity within our borders are unmatched anywhere in the country. Once you saturate that, sure, you look at other markets. Um, but I think, you know, becoming a material player here is, is my primary driving force. Um, I don't have you know, international business experience. I don't know the rules, regulations, laws, or otherwise in some of those markets. So, you know, I feel confident in operating in the states that I have before. I understand the the unique nature of our laws here, both on the state side as well as the federal side. Um, and I'm very comfortable, and I think you can maximize returns here before expanding. You know, if you grow to Coca-Cola, sure, you want to be in Latin America and you want to be Fair in enough. Europe. and. I welcome that someday. You know, right. I, I hope I'm around to see that come to fruition. But right now, laser focused on the U.S. Fantastic. So, as we look at the market, you seem to have a very strong knowledge of the capital markets in this space. <laughs> so, not been trending great, right? Recently, uh, you know, you're talking to a bunch of potential shareholders or current shareholders of cannabis stocks. You know, what can they look for in 2022? And I, I don't think legislation is going to save anybody in the near term. And 
some people do, some people don't. I'm not sure what your thoughts are. Um, but, you know, are cannabis stocks and the cannabis industry going to see a little bit more growth in 2022, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I think the, the operators, the businesses are, have never performed this well. They're performing at the highest level they ever have, and their stocks are being punished for it, which is very odd. Um, it is capital markets. It is a thinly traded capital markets, and certainly things like safe banking or some uh, legalization would improve that as you can move to more robust exchanges. However, you know, I think you're going to see another strong quarter this year. I think you're going to see another strong fourth quarter. Um, and then I think you're going to see the, the stock start to, to improve as the sentiment kind of changes again. You know, for me, if, if I'm talking to an individual investor, understand the companies, right? Dig into a couple companies, who's operating where, what states are you familiar with, what do you know about the regulatory environment, how many licenses are there compared to number of people, and who are the dominant players, right? You want to look to find that Coca-Cola in that respective market. So who's dominating some of the bigger states? And, you know, no offense to North Dakota or Mississippi, like who's dominating the big markets and who's really getting a piece of that billion dollar pie? Um, those are companies that are going to do well in the long term with, with strong fundamentals and, and really businesses that are starting to continue to achieve uh, operational scale. I think you've answer, answered this in part, but I'd love you to provide a little bit more clarity on your strategy in particular on breadth versus depth in these state markets. As you start to expand, I know MSO being you want to be in multiple markets, um, but how deeply into those markets do you see yourself going at first? Sure, depth is important, right? Achieving the maximum in this space. It's hard to get out, you know, it's a <laughs> little bit of a tongue twister, but um, depth is, is everything. So focusing on some key markets, as you look at the revenue generated from some of the MSOs, the majority of that revenue is driven by maybe two, three, four states. It's not driven by all 12 states. So you can achieve, call it 75% of the results by being in the material markets, going deep in those respective markets. I think that's a great baseline to start your business and then be selective as you move on. You know, I think a hub and spoke model, having, having talent in regional areas that can manage multiple markets, keeps your SG&A low. Some of those things are, are kind of what I look for, but depth is everything. I love that. So I think we're at time here, but if you could leave our audience with a little bit on what they can expect from Choice, anything you can say sure. in that regard? or, or yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we're excited. We're, we're working very hard to get our, our qualifying transaction together. You know, we do expect to stay the course, which is uh, achieve vertical um, uh, into each of the markets that we're going to be in. We're going to try to be in four to six markets and put together roughly a billion dollars in M&A and come out swinging. So... Just a billion dollars in M and A. It's fine, Joe. Pleasure to have Absolutely. you here. One nice more to time. See you face to face. I'm not. Yes, finally, <laughs> sir. Finally, the virtual setting got tiresome for all of us, but I'm so glad we're still able to do this for the audience. Check it out. What's the ticker of this back? Uh, CDXX. CDXX. So, which is in Roman numerals. So <laughs> well played. So. Well played, Joe. Awesome. Yep. Thanks, Thank Elliot. you again, Appreciate sir. It. Yeah, we'll talk to you again shortly and hopefully at our next conference in Miami. Shauna, I'm looking at you. Okay. <laughs> Wherever she tells me to go. I love Thanks, it. Guys. I love Appreciate it. Thank it you all much. so much. Awesome. Everybody, that's Joe Caltabiano. 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 Why do I struggle? Oh, my gosh. It's, apparently. Good Lord. All right. I think we're ready for the next interview. All right. Thank you Joe, much. thank Great you so much, you. my yeah, friend. Yes. Much. Appreciate you. Awesome. So next up, y'all, uh, AT is going to wrap us up here after Patrick, the older and less wise brother.
uh, and there's no no hatred between us. It's going to end off with one of the coolest partners in Benzinga history. I love that. I love the tee up. I love the tee up. Um, you know what? Older, wiser, less attractive than my younger brother. It's fine. I'll take it. I'll take it. I just tell everyone that mom made me hire you, so that's fine. Um, so, guys, the, this, this next guest, and go ahead and sit down when you're ready, Brad. This next guest, Brad Natra, CEO of Urban Grow, U-G-R-O, um, is, I mean, how long have we been talking to each other like this? Five years, now. Five years yeah. man. Five we've years. We started the company eight years ago. Yes. I think we've been an early supporter. Yeah, you were. You were. You were one of the original members uh, of our Cannabis Advisory Council, right, and everything that we've built there. But let's, let's take a step back. You guys have experienced exponential growth over, let's say, the past... And geez, what would you say? 12 months? 18 months? 12, 18 months. Yeah. So the biggest thing that you launched recently that I really want to dive into is this financial services division, your ability to provide financing for a lot of these companies that you're already working with, that you already know, um, and helping advise. So let's dive in there, and then I'm sure that'll take us elsewhere. Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, it was a great event last week. Thank you, Benzinga, man. Benzinga, New York. Uh, I think it was a complete success. It was nice to have everyone back in person. Great turnout, uh, really Thank good you. audience, great audience. You know, the audience that that people presenting want to see at your event, so uh, I enjoy it. I really appreciate that, man. I really appreciate it. And listen, these guys do a good job. I mean, looking around looking around at MJ Biz and the, the audience that they've been able to cultivate over the years, you got to hand it to them, right? I mean, this is, what, what value do you guys get from being at a conference like this? So, it's a great question. Really, this is how Urban Grow was formed. You know, we were at the first show at the Rio, I think it was six, seven years ago. Wow. Um, it allowed, when people were whispering cannabis, you know, they, they didn't, it was a place for everyone. We still do that, by the way. It was a place cannabis. for, well, they are in Europe. It was a place for people to, to meet and, and, and like-minded individuals and talk openly about uh, industry they're very passionate about. Yeah. And uh, a lot of our early customers were, those relationships were formed at, uh, at MJ Biz. And uh, so two years off, it, it has been, you know, we've had to really alter our marketing plan, focus on uh, a digital plan, you know, reach the clients other ways. But, uh, you know, talking about Europe for a quick sec, we're expanding rapidly uh, in Europe. We've hired uh, Vice President of Horticulture. In the last eight weeks, I've been there three times. No kidding. We exhibited at, uh, in Berlin, and then we exhibited again at Green Tech. Yeah. And they are where the U.S. was five years ago. They're whispering cannabis. And, and so it's really awesome because it's a blue ocean, tremendous opportunity. And uh, as, as we've discussed many times, Urban Grows IP is our experts. Wow. It's 80 employees, 60 of them, architects, engineers, horticulturists, plant scientists. And that IP travels very well. So we found a, a really beautiful uh, demand for our, our solutions over here. Phenomenal, uh, man. Yeah. We'll, t we'll talk just a little bit about that international market because a lot of our investors watching now, you guys may know about what's happening in Germany and the UK and uh, the Netherlands, what's about to happen there, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, I think, a not necessarily renewed interest, but, but, but maybe a bit more importance. Uh, being placed on that market, or let's say markets in yeah. Europe these days. So where, where are you guys focusing? And you said you just hired a VP of horticulture. So you've got some boots on the ground, right? Opening an entity in the, the Netherlands, in the Dutch marketplace. Wow. wow. Urban Grow European Holdings. Wow, man. But uh, it's... So COVID's effect on cannabis in the U.S. when it was deemed essential 
um, everything sped full speed. Everything went full speed ahead. Everything changed. In Europe, there wasn't enough momentum mm. prior to the pandemic. And so everything really paused. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, for us, we were able to, we didn't lose out because we, we didn't have a, an operation overseas yet. But what we did earlier, uh, late last year, is we hired, uh, we signed some agent, commercial agent contracts. And it was a good move because it allowed us to start talking to clients through commercial agents, started to, to work on some engineering design projects. Mm -hmm. Then when the borders opened, you know, we were, we were, we actually had to get government approval to get in the first time. We were right on that cutting edge. And so we've hit the ground running and uh, are moving full speed ahead. And just like uh, in the U.S. market, since we uplisted to the NASDAQ, we're looking for, for profitable, accretive, synergistic service companies yeah. in uh, the European market as well to help us run faster, get to the clients quicker, provide solutions quicker. That is so cool. I mean, being one of, of the leading ancillary companies in this space, you've got to see from the ground level up how these relationships are made, right? And I would imagine, given what you're saying about you know opening that European entity and the IP really being in your experts, right? You've got to be hiring those folks there, right? You've got to be, or working with the right agencies there yeah. to make sure that you are, uh, you're bringing that value, you're bringing that expertise. Well, it's similar to the U.S. Uh, labor market. It's it's tight right now. I, I mentioned 80 employees. I think we have 15 now. Wow. As of yesterday, 15 job racks out for account execs, um, architects, engineers. That's to keep up with the uh, with the demand that we have right now. Gosh, with it's it. tough right now, isn't it? Well, it is. And the the architect firm is such a phenomenal uh, creative acquisition. There's so much momentum from that. So we need these individuals. So I can't just take our experts from the North American market and move them to Europe, or all of them, because yeah. then there'll be a gap here. You so need them. We do, and it's really balancing, um, bringing in talent that, that, that live and breathe the, the urban growth solution set, and then training people in Europe who you know, ideally have decade plus of horticulture experience, yeah. which is Europe is, or the Netherlands is, really the empire. It's the Colorado of cannabis, but it's the uh, really the, the empire for horticulture globally. Wow. And so there's a great labor side. It's finding those groups. It's finding those acquisitions. And, and so that's what we're focused on now. That's so cool. Well, listen, uh, the, the financial services division, I remember mm -hmm. talking to you about this in New York, and the fact that this came out of, a, of momentum and, and the, again, the relationships you've made with your clients what they need, right? You want to be more value additive to them. You want them uh, satisfied at the end of the day, and obviously you want to do more work with them. So tell us about that process. I mean, tell us, tell us about the communication with those clients and how it led to this new product. So we've heard it for, for years, long before we uplisted to the NASDAQ and, and raised the funds. You know, it's the last 25, 30% of a client's needs for a new facility that they, it's the toughest for them to raise. You know, they're not operational yet. They're not harvesting. They're not generating those first revenues. Yeah. And so, so often, that last bit is the most dilutive to their equity. It's the most painful for them. And so they would ask, hey, can we get terms? You know, can you, can you, you know, extend us for one or two harvests? And we couldn't. And then when we uplisted to the NASDAQ, even though we raised $62 million and we have a strong cash position entering Q3 of 50 million, mm. you would think, oh, look, we can use that. But 
we don't want to take on that liability. Right. You know, we right. want to be great. We want to be incredible at what we do with the clients, but we don't want to have those potential issues in the future. So the partnership with X-Asset really, and the launch of Urban Grow Financial Services, it really allows us to deliver um, the solution to our clients that can help them avoid that, that dilutive equity event. So yeah. the funds, uh, if you have a current operation or expanding, or perhaps uh, an MSO early stage that's expanding to other states as well. Yeah, it's uh, non-dilutive, um, very favorable, low teen interest rates, uh, no no personal guarantees required, and you, these funds can be utilized for all of the equipment systems, um, custom environmental equipment systems like environmental controls, mechanical systems, irrigation distribution. Uh, it could be used to procure those products from Urban Grow. And then we, with our Grow Care Managed Services program, we maintain those assets, make sure the teams uh, of our clients are, are continually trained and uh, are utilizing the, the systems to the, the most highest, uh, most efficient use for that, for that equipment system. Yeah, well, and it sounds like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like it's all stemming from your desire to be as useful to your clients as possible, right? To keep their operations running smoothly. 100%. And, you know, we've, we've really evolved. And now I use the term for the life of the grow. We're engaging with the acquisition of the architect firm. We're engaging 15, 18 months prior to startup wow. with our clients. And we're, we're holding their hands. We're utilizing our experts to help them decide and plan out how products, people, and plants um, move about and flow through that facility so we can help maximize the space to maximize the yields for them. But as you work all the way through the design and then the integration and then we have engineers commissioning those, those systems that we're selling, we don't want to walk away. You know, yeah. We want to stay sticky with the client. We want to be there for them. So now utilizing our experts, we're providing ongoing training system uh, support. We are remote monitoring what's happening in their facility to Very proactively cool. predict, help them avoid um, an IPM pest breakout or, or something like that. Uh, we can fix that problem, but we don't want it to happen in the, in the first place. Sure. And then also audit the facilities, facilities that have been operational, and, um, and give them an optimization plan. So if we're there, then they think urban grow when it's time to expand, when it's time to upgrade the facility, if we've learned about new technologies, or to, uh, to build a new facility, we'll be there. Well, and, and you know, let's take this one step further. And and producer AT, just let us know how we're doing. But but when it comes to when it comes to that sort of partnerships, I would imagine that when it comes to your balance sheet and what the the financials are looking like, that that's pretty sticky revenue, right? Yeah. You're getting in in bed with some of these folks from a very early stage. You're helping them through the lifetime. Uh, of their operation, right? Yeah. So these are lifelong partners for you. Uh, they really are. And so from, from a P&L standpoint, selling a design package, architecture, engineering, cultivation design, a, a turnkey design package, really, yeah. being able to deliver stamped construction documents, that's really a strong indicator of future equipment system sales because if we've done a good job if we have delivered multiple options for each category the client trusts us uh, we've earned we've earned their trust well then the chances that they're going to move to that next stage with us procure the equipment systems are very high yeah and so there's there's two key things to look at for urban grow our our service revenue because you can assume that 
12 months later, there's going to be a good strong equipment sales for that climb, but then also our backlog. And uh, backlog for us uh, on the balance sheets, it's signed orders mm -hmm. that have uh, deposits in hand that will ship in the next one or two quarters. And so our backlog at the end of Q2 was uh, $27.9 Finished Q2 strong, $50 million cash position, with strong balance sheet, and um, you know we'll finish the year strong as well. So, so probably our last question here, Brad. Sure. When it comes to what's next for you and Urban Grow, you've got a strong, strong balance sheet, right? You've got a decent cash cash position. What do you do with that? So we're looking, continuing to look at. We have a strong M&A plan. Mm -hmm. We continue to look at uh, a creative synergistic acquisition opportunities. And the vision for Urban Grow is to be the leading provider of turnkey controlled environment egg facilities globally. So other smart acquisitions would revolve around probably the, the construction side. Don't want to be a manufacturer, we don't want to be a general contractor, but we would love to be able to manage that project end to end. I, I call it a one invoice, uh, a one invoice uh, project. Yeah. So uh, just, just getting really more deep, tied in, providing services to our clients so they don't have to go out and look for all of this on their own. They can focus on what they're best at, not battling the environment, but they can focus on growing their plants and growing their profits. Good for you, man. Well, listen, you guys, Brad Natra, CEO of Urban Grow, UGRO. Brad, thanks for joining us, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Of course. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. We'll just step this way. Elliot, I'll hand this off to you. I need to say this. We are super excited to be doing this from MJ Biz. Uh, thank you all very much uh, for staying tuned, for tuning in later, whenever you listen to this. These are incredible guests. These are all people shaping the industry one way or the other, from Nancy and Juana's uh, recent acquisition for Canopy Growth. Uh, to Joe, <laughs> oh my lord, from Joe C, forming an MSO. You know, some would say kind of late in the game. I say he's an incredible C-suite leader in this industry, and I'm excited to see what he does. To Brad, uh, who is developing one of the leading ancillary companies in this industry. Uh, and honestly, we're, t we're touching the tip of the iceberg here. Um, so I'm excited to do this again tomorrow from 10 to 11.45 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, so that will be... That is 11.12. 1. 1 to 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. Tune in, y'all. We'll be back again then. All of this will be available on YouTube uh, and on any podcast uh, forum under Cannabis Hour. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, and thanks again to MJ Biz for letting us host. Uh, appreciate everybody. We are also going to be following up with some solid video content uh, from the event about the event. Just can't do it live from the floor. Uh, but appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. 
an easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today. Home. They say it's where the heart is. They also say it's wherever you make it. They don't say it's where you unload your stuff, get tired halfway through unpacking, use some boxes as furniture, realize your oven mitt's in a box that doubles as a nightstand, don't want to buy a new nightstand, and use a towel as an oven mitt instead. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on renters and car insurance. Easier than grabbing a piping hot pan with a towel that's a bit too thin and trying to quickly get it to the counter. Ooh, hot, 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 hot. Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen. Real results. Real care. Real about recovery.